Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. He's a nerd. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody. This is Jimmy Crane, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd. And today's episode is brought to you by two great sponsors. Our first sponsor is the 6th Annual Dallas Comedy Festival, which will be taking place March 25th through the 28th in beautiful Dallas, Texas. Now, here's the most important part. The early bird submissions are open through November 30th. So if you want to submit to this wonderful festival, you've got an improv group or sketch group or a stand-up act, if you submit through November 30th, you'll be able to save some cash. Now, The 6th Annual Dallas Comedy Festival is a production of the Dallas Comedy House. So check out DallasComedyFestival.com. That's DallasComedyFestival.com to submit to the 6th Annual Dallas Comedy Festival. Giddy up, y'all. This episode is also sponsored by The Steel Stacks Improv Comedy Festival, which will be taking place in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, January 30th to February 1st. And I'm really excited to announce I'll be there. I'll be teaching workshops. I'll also be doing an Improv Nerd Live. Also, they've got some other great groups that are going to be there, including the Upright Citizens Brigade Touring Company. Submissions are now open for groups interested. If you want to be a part of this wonderful festival, just visit www.facebook.com slash Steel Stacks Improv Comedy Festival, all one word, to learn more. The submission deadline is December 10th, so don't wait. The website, again, is www.facebook.com slash Steel Stacks Improv Comedy Festival, all one word. So check that out. I really had so much fun doing this episode. And you know that I struggle and I have my judgments about musical improv. And I really think I'm getting more and more comfortable with doing musical improv and I learned so much about it because our guest today Stephanie McCollum is really she's a genius at this and uh, she's a musical director at the Second City Training Center here in Chicago where she teaches musical improv and she's also just started last spring or opened up a brand new theater here dedicated to musical comedy, and it's called Musical Comedy Live, or as we like to say in the know, MCL. And this was just, I I love Stephanie because she's so positive, but she's also, and just so filled with so much joy and so much passion about musical improv, but also she's willing to talk about the dark stuff. So uh, we talked about um, how she went from uh, a career in psychology to musical improv. We talked about Wayne Brady. We talked about how she went from being very shy to being uh, more uh, extroverted. And uh, so I think you're really going to, you're just going to love her. I mean, you cannot help but, but l- fall in love with Stephanie McCollum. You really are. It's going, you, 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 you can't resist it. You just can't resist it. Um, before we get to the interview with Stephanie, you know, uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know how 
I struggle so much, uh, not only with musical improv, but wanting to be famous, wanting to be recognized. And I've always thought, you know, living here in Chicago, I would have to move to Chicago or Los Angeles and get a television show uh, for people to uh, recognize me on the street. And basically that's, uh, you know, I'm not really an artist. I really just want to be recognized on the street. Uh, that, that's, that's my goal. And uh, so uh, the other day, I, it's, got, it gotten, it's gotten so freezing here in Chicago, which is not good for my seasonal affect disorder. Usually the season of seasonal affect disorder, because it's a seasonal disease, doesn't usually start till like uh, the middle of December. This year it started way early. It started at Halloween, actually a week before Halloween. So it's gotten really cold here, like I was saying. So I went to go find a jacket, and I go to the... Um, Patagonia store uh, here in Chicago, and it's freezing. Like, it's, it's so cold you have to run to your car kind of day here in Chicago. So I go in there, and this really nice girl, she's young, she's, she's really helping me out find jackets. And then all of a sudden, like, I, I turn the corners, we're, we're looking for jackets, and this, uh, this uh, guy goes to me, I know who you are, you're Jimmy Corain. And it turns out he was another improviser. His name is Ross Kimball, uh, and uh, I'd never met him before. Um, and apparently he had never met me before. We had a very nice conversation, and he told me he's going to Los Angeles. I wish him the best of luck. I think he's really going to do well there. Um, and that was, that was really cool to be noticed. Yesterday, uh, I'm coming home from uh, group therapy, and you know I go to a lot of therapy, and it's, it's the second day of my therapy. I go on Monday, I have a men's group, and then on Tuesday I have group therapy, and it's a co-ed group. And I'm taking the L back. It's rush hour, and the, and the L is packed. We're down in the subway there. It's kind of dark, and um, this woman is, is staring at me. And I, I, you know, you know that thing where they're staring at you and you don't know why. And she's much younger than I am, so I know she's not checking me out. She goes to me, "I really love your podcast." And then she kind of like walks away. And I thought, "Oh, this is really cool. I have been noticed, you know, twice in a very short period of time." And uh, which is interesting because it's a podcast. People don't know my face, but they're recognizing me, which I uh, which I really like. So uh, enough about me. Here it is. You're going to love this episode. If you do not love Stephanie McCollum after this episode, there's something wrong with you. She is just so filled with positive energy and joy. And she's willing to talk about the dark stuff. Um, So here it is. The Stephanie McCollum episode. He's a nerd. Oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd. 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 He's a nerd. We have never had people like uh, Oprah come like you just did and gave everybody a I high would. five. I would. I feel bad I didn't I, go over there. Okay. Well, after the show, uh, you will give them a high five. Okay. But that, I mean, they're very enthusiastic to see you. That's nice. Right. How are you feeling right now? Nervous. Okay. Um, but Which is interesting because really you were a shy kid growing up. And you said you didn't speak until age three. That's right. And, uh, and when you did speak, the words were all jumbled. That's correct. And you had a really hard time speaking. <laughs> this is a this is a, a 
Yes, sir, that is true. Yes. That is factual. Right. I'm in court. Yes, you are. You're being interrogated. <laughs> this is the scariest thing you'll have. This is getting you prepared for your deposition on Monday. Right. Um, <laughs> and you had a hard time speaking until the fifth grade, and then a teacher, Mrs. Parsons, saved you. Can you mm-hmm. tell us what happened? What happened was that I wasn't doing well in school, not in the academic components, um, I, but I was taking music classes, and this was in Indiana, so I was allowed to be in a band at second grade. The, I was allowed to take music lessons. I'm second grade. I could be, I was playing clarinet, play the piano, but my English was terrible, and when I did start using my words, I mixed them up pretty sufficiently, and then my, so they had a teacher conference uh, in the fifth to sixth grade, my sixth grade, my teacher said, she said, you know, uh, they were like, should, should we put her on the short bus? Do we need Which to? means what? That, that's the expression of like, should we take her to the delayed learning classes kind of thing. And uh, my, the teacher, Mrs. Parsons said, who, her son was a musician uh, and was making a living as a musician. And she said, Stephanie reminds me of, she's just like my son. She is, she, one part of her brain is just really working. It's, it's, and, and, but the other part, she's just in a cloud, but this is not a permanent state she's going to be in. She's going to come out of it. And so they decided to keep me on the track with the rest of my peers and not hold me back from any other classes or anything. And, and, and you, you, that was like a defining moment in your it life? It was absolutely 100% a defining moment. And, uh, and I think it's one of those things where adults don't think kids know what's going on and they know exactly what's going on. And I knew this, I knew there was this, my mom was going in to talk to the teachers and I knew I was supposed to graduate or not graduate or maybe go to a different school and I knew all that. So when my mom came back later that afternoon, I was very shy, but I came up to her later in the evening and I said, um, am I mentally retarded and nobody's telling me? Because, you know, I'd seen enough you know, remember that remember that guy with Down syndrome that was on that law show? It was this on law before. No, there was a law show, a show about like a, a oh L A law, law office, uh, and there was uh, a uh, Benny was his name. L A. Yes, and I thought he worked in the mailroom. He worked in the mailroom, and it was like, look at someone with a developmental disability on TV, and I was like, am I Benny? And people are just being really nice to me, and not telling me. And how did you find out that that everything was okay? She just said no. That's not the case. (laughs) No, she said, your teacher said that uh, you remind her just like her own son, and her own son's very accomplished, but it was just the the other part of the brain that needs to adapt and learn all the language and learn the skills was just behind because my music brain, my left side of the brain, was just firing real hard. And I I don't think I believed her because I think I pretty much carried the suspicion that I might be mildly retarded for a long time. No one was telling me. And then also at home, your mother was suffered from mental illness. My mom, she still does. She, yes. But, and they didn't, it wasn't something we, only like older, you're like, this wasn't, this, this isn't normal. Like, this, these are dysfunctional Like, what choices. was it normal that she did? Uh, well, she, well, by the time, it, it blew up when she like made repetitive attempts to like kill herself. And how did she do it? Like, how did she do it? With a knife and say, I'm going to kill myself? No, or? with letters and pills. Okay. She did that a lot. Yeah. Everyone's were down. This is down. Oh. I'm sorry. Um, and then there's an interesting thing that happens with your mom when you, again, it, it, it's with music. Um, 
she you, she gets divorced from your dad. She, yes. She wants to move, and you want to stay with I your... I want to stay in the house that I grew up in. And she takes away something that you piano. love. Piano. She removes the piano. The piano that I knew, like, my whole childhood, I was going to just, like, take this piano with me, wherever house I go, So whatever. what does she do with the piano? She took it to her, her apartment so that, I, like, when I go and visit her, it was like like an incentive to get me there. Like if she held it hostage, basically. That's, what it, that's exactly what it feels like. That's what it felt like. It feels like. And, and and I think I think the whole so so you, you were kind of split between music and psychology and and when she took the piano away what what decision did you make exactly uh, and in terms of taking I went to CCM and my like, tell us what CCM was. CCM is the College Conservatory of Music mm-hmm. in Cincinnati Ohio and I was the one of two students that were accepted in as composers and. Uh, so it was a big deal, but I was like, really, all you're going to do is become a band teacher. Like that's what you're going to end up doing. A high school band, yeah, college, exactly. marching and band. And I didn't want to do that. So yes, when my mom moved away and took the piano and was struggling on her own to become her own uh, person and not and like figure out how she's going to pay for her own life and have to hold down jobs. I was like, there's no way I'm going to try to make it as a musician. I don't need my piano. So I switched over to psychology, totally, and just stopped playing the piano completely. And when she took the piano, you were, that was it, right? You mm-hmm. took that as a sign. Uh, I was already sort of maybe thinking there's no way I'm going to – I don't – there wasn't improv in, in Cincinnati, so it was like I'm going to be a – I developed performance anxiety also as far as playing the piano in front of people. So it was just like, there's no way I'm going to have a living with this. I had a strong proclivity for psychology already, so uh, I just immediately switched over to all my psychology classes, getting straight A's, and excelled at that. And then you end up in Chicago, and you're pursuing a degree in psychology, right? Yep. And you go and you see this show at the Improv Olympic called Jedi the Musical. Yes. And can you tell us, you saw it, and what realization you I had? I was like, I could do I could so do that. Dave Adler was the piano player. Dave Adler uh, was a great he was phenomenal. musical director. And the song, Luke Skywalker's song, which was like, gotta get, gotta get, gotta get out, gotta get, 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 gotta get out. Like, that was his song about leaving uh, Tatooine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember it. Uh, so You're a total, like, band geek, wouldn't you I, say? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. That's what I love about you. You're so enthusiastic. Thank you. Uh, so I was taking psychology classes, and back then we had these, like, if you're going to do your interview assessment, like how to interview patients, uh, you have to carry around your little microphone thing. So uh, I had my patient tapes, but then I would also put tapes in there and go to I.O. and record Dave Adler and then come home. And uh, we bought a piano, like buying a piano when we moved here. And my husband at the time, Aaron, when we went and bought a piano, and like it was like that was the first time I'd had a piano around me for and I couldn't play that well anymore it's been eight years I was like sort of depressed about like I can't do what I used to do but I would listen to Dave Adler and pick it up and it was Aaron your first husband who actually gave you your start he totally gave me my start (laughs) he pimped me into a show that's what he did get that down as a quote (laughs) Aaron pimped you into your career oh screw him I'm successful now tell us what happened Oh, man. So, uh, yes. You're still doing psychology at the time, right? I was, totally. Okay. totally. Were you at a job at this point? Only, I was in grad school and working at, I worked at St. Uh, Joe's Hospital. Mm-hmm. That was off of, sure. I worked Diver- at different clinics and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did hold down another job on it. Uh, and 
Aaron was taking the improv classes. And then, uh, yeah, he took the first, he auditioned for the first writing show that was coming out of the Second City Training Center where, like, these people had taken writing for a year and they were all going to graduate and get to have a show and they had written all their material and they were having rehearsals and they were, like, three or four weeks into the opening day or an opening night and the, the, in one of the rehearsals they were like, you know, we have these songs we wanted to put but we don't know anyone that plays the piano. And everyone's like, my, my wife does. I, I bet she'd do this for us. So he did. He came home and was like, I think I think uh, he's like I volunteered you to play for our, our show. And what did you feel about that? I oh very nervous. I didn't I didn't know what it encountered, but and you show up and what do they ask you to yeah, do? Yes, so I show up and and there's Norm Holly was the director, but he was not present at that rehearsal. And Glenn Eric was one of the students and uh, walked up and he's like, so this is one of the songs we have. We want you to put music to. And I was like, great. When do you need it done? He was like, can we have it done like now? Like, we need this music now. Like, so I sat at the piano and just started writing. And that wasn't hard, like, to sit and make up the song. And then after that, you just say the phone starts ringing. That's, well, if you're an MD in the city and and the word gets out that people like you and you're skilled and cool to work with and the word gets, absolutely, people start calling you, especially then. There was, like, very few of us. And and it leads to, like, comedy sports and playing for the Heralds at I.O. and play Baby Wants Candy. And you said something about comedy sports, which I think was really interesting, that it's the hardest... It's absolutely the hardest gig for any music director in this city. In what way? First of all, you don't have a piano. You have two keyboards, and you're mixing. So you are playing on multiple keyboards, you are responding to constant, immediate changes of expectations between underscoring or pimping in the song. Audiences are going to yell out anything in the world when you say, give us a musical style. They will say anything. Like what? Give me an example. ACDC, hair band, uh, kabuki, silent film. And what uh, do you do as a musical director? What do you... You make a choice. You make one choice and go. Right? Mm-hmm. That's improv. Right? So if I yelled out kabu- kabuki, because we have a, a, a piano here too as well. Uh, <laughs> I want to just say thank your theater for, for providing an MCL. They sent this over. No, they did not. Yes, they did. You this lied. is the piano you play. This is 100% a lot. Okay, so if I said kabuki, <laughs> well, how, what would well, you play? Well, you're going to do the work, I though. am, but let's just, this is kind of funny. <laughs> I think this would be kind of funny, like a toy piano. Uh, it is funny. So, but kabuki is all about rhythm right. and your vocals. Right. So we would need uh, someone would need to set a uh, physicality of a tempo because mm-hmm. I'm not going to set a tempo. Okay. Uh, for instance, not necessarily that there is a tempo. It's like anyway. Uh, so you would make some sound, and I would. I would go like some. ooh. Right. And you would do that. Would what do if that. we said karaoke? Karaoke? Yeah, and you threw that out. That's any song, but karaoke is... But so what would you do? What choice would you make? Okay, I thought this was a better idea. <laughs> when we were rehearsing. You gave such a look. Yeah. You gave us such a look. Yeah. I, I didn't know what to do with it. You said karaoke is... Whatever. Okay. Music, I told you, I am just terrified of doing music. I believe you. You know? <laughs> And I, and I'm not good with words, so we're in good shape. <laughs> this, this this interview should go by really fast. <laughs> so you're doing comedy sports, you're doing all this stuff, yes. and then but you're also being. I was 100 percent a full time. I was finishing grad school, right? Sure, you're st- grad school, right? And just doing this on Fridays and Saturdays nights, comedy sports or yeah, or Herald teams, and then the random like sketch show mm-hmm. just to get that experience. And then you're doing your dissertation, you get a phone call. 
That's right. Uh, so my, I, I had my dissertation. It's a long process. Uh, and I had my, uh, the data, you defend it. Like, that's the final thing, is you defend it. It's like a big report you have to hand you in. Have to, you hand in your book, but, like, the defense is you also have to stand in front of everybody and, like, argue for your point. And so your it's book... It's kind of like this show right now, yes. right? <laughs> You're arguing for your career. I am talented, Jimmy. <laughs> Uh, so it's crazy it is crazy that what happened is that I have the flu because of course your body blows up on you right before a big thing where you have to stand up and defend something I have my dissertation and you have to go like page for page like like any little error with your pencil like and uh and then I, and it, I'm sick, and it's Sunday, and it's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and my phone rings, and it's Dave Gaudette from Comedy Sports, who was one of the first ones to be like, let's hire this lady, uh, was like, um, Wayne Brady, is his show, his tour is going through uh, Wisconsin, he's performing in Milwaukee tonight, and his music director is sick and can't make it. Can you go perform? Can you go do that? And I was like, nope. <laughs> I'm sick and I have to defend my I literally I'll never forget standing there or sitting down looking at my like dissertation and being like what? like so I said no and he sounded very disappointed on the phone and I felt really bad about disappointing him I felt more bad about that than, and then hung up and then and I was like what's going on I was like well they wanted this that I have to do this it literally is the collision of both worlds in that one moment and like 20 minutes later I was like alright I'm then, I, then I'm like I gotta do this like that's what I love about this being an improv in this thing like one phone call can change everything you think you know your trajectory you think oh I got didn't get on that team didn't get on that team but you never know one phone call can absolutely Flip everything. It will happen. There's another quote right there, Joshua. <laughs> uh, what changed? What changed? What was it about going to play the Wayne Brady show that changed your trajectory? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, it was... I, I, my two favorite musical moments, like inspired and spontaneous moments, were there because just... It was in our warm-up. Well, one was in the warm-up and one was in the show. Um... God, it was just so hilarious. Everything about it, and the that it put it made the hair on the back of my neck stand. You know what I mean? Like there was that moment that just caused chills between what I was playing and what he did, and this back and forth. And I pimped him really hard. The final, final song, I pimped him so hard. What did you do? Well, I uh, did two things. It was a he combined it was all audience suggestions, so it was uh, Kabuki and, and karaoke, uh, not karaoke, <laughs> Kabuki, and um, uh, it was like the Geisha Girl, uh, the Battle of the Geisha Girl. So I started him with Geisha Girl music, but then and he wrapped it up, and then I realized, oh, it was battle. I forgot to give him the battle, and he was, and I was like, well, I'm fuck this. I'm gonna start playing the battle music. So he starts talking faster. He cut on, and then I realized I'm gonna see how fast I can get him to talk. And he outsped me, which was really because I bah, 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 bah. and then he holds the note and like I'm holding the note like the fifth, right? And instead of going to the resolve, I took him up a half step and he was like ah, ah. But he was and he held it longer than I thought he could have. Like I'm rolling it, like I'm gonna make you run out of breath. And he didn't. He was like until the end. And then phew, it's silent and he turns his head and he goes, he goes, and I'm behind him, he goes, nice. 
<laughs> and did he say anything? Did you talk to him afterwards? No, absolutely not. Were you afraid to talk to him? Absolutely, this? like this. Mm-hmm. So you like the show's over. He says nice, he and you you don't nice. want to you don't want you don't want. I did my job. I like, you wanted to get the hell out of there, well, right? Well, I was yeah. I did my job. I was I was thrilled with myself, but I didn't want to put any more. And then, how soon after that? Do you go, okay, I'm screw the psychology, no, I'm doing this I did time. psychology, so I defended my dissertation, I got my gigs, I got my jobs, uh, I did my postdoc, and I was working at a clinic, but my life became 50-50 improv and um, psychology. So during the day it's psychology, at night it, it's improv. 100%. So when do you make that decision, like, I'm, I'm going all music? Uh, when my sister had her babies, because that changed my life. How'd that change your life? I didn't, I'd never been close to like watching someone become a mother, like that thing. I was swore myself I would never have kids and then my sister had children and that, that just put, and I was very unhappy at the place I was at. Uh, I was very unhappy. Uh, the patients are great. It's never the patients that are the crazy people. This was in a, uh, what was this a in a? Clinic, Allendale Association. Okay, great. Patient, yeah. Uh, miserable there. And so uh, my sister has her kids and I'm like. I, I've got to change how miserable I'm at. And I called up Beth, and I was like, I'm ready. Beth Kligerman in Second City? Yeah, because she used to come. I mean, there weren't that many. There, we were a really small group then. So well, because you guys you guys are, like, well-known. Like, it's a yes, small thing. You're getting paid. You can make a living at it. I mean... Not as much of a living as psychology. But. Right, but, <laughs> but in terms of the food chain of improv, yes. you guys are up there, you know? Yeah, that's true. So you call Beth Kligerman... And she's like, great, uh, we just started making contracts uh, with this boat, this cruise ship thing that we're going to do. So, um, you know, I don't know what it is, but I know it's going to start here. we gotta, we got about a month to get you ready. So, great, I'm so thrilled. And, uh, and that was, my, my trajectory was going to be on the first cruise ship with them. Uh, but it didn't happen because, like, within another 10 days, I get a call that Dave Asher, the Blue Co., uh, his music director, who I found out was Dave Asher, uh, was having a, a bit of a crisis and needed to get off of touring. And um, they needed a, like, a music director stat. Like they had 16 more shows down the line and they didn't have time to try to train someone or anything. Like I was the next up, so I got thrown right into Blue Co. What is it? Because every, uh, every um, thing for you seems to be like you're just thrown in the deep. That's 100% true. And, and, and what do you think, what's the learning there for you? What's the advantage? Oh, to say yes. Okay. Absolutely. And it, this is interesting. I, I've, you are like one of the most busy people I know. Um, and you say yes to everything. That's, that's kind of like your, your mission in life, your mission statement. How do you, how are you able to balance a regular life? What is that? I don't know. Well, you're married <laughs> and spending time with your husband mm-hmm. and all that stuff. How, how, and having a life to draw from mm-hmm. in your music. How, how are you able to do that? You do need a life to draw from, for sure. Uh, I don't think I... I think my life is improv and musicals and musical sketch. That is my life. And my husband is the person that comforts me and lets me not be... A mus- I literally, when I started dating again, was like, I want someone who does not see me as a musician first. Doesn't want me for my piano playing. Doesn't want me for a show, you know? Like, I just want someone who, like, doesn't think of Did stepping people try to pick you up at- uh, you know, like, you know. <laughs> I know you're a musical director. You know. uh, no, I want he. I wanted him to know me not as any of that. So how did you do that? 
oh, we, we, it turns out we, we met on Match.com. We're totally right. Match.com company. And, we, and he's a technical director at Court. So, so he's a technical he court theater. He understands theater. Right. And he understands theater. And, uh, but is behind the scenes, so he gets it. And so when I say strike or tech or anything, that doesn't freak him out. But um, he's into nature and cooking and the woods and a whole bunch of things that I've never had in my life before until I had him. And now he's just like doing that part of like giving me more to my life that I didn't have. Are you really happy now in your life with, with, with MCL opening up this mm-hmm. spring? It sounds like, you know, you have a good relationship. You're working at Second City full time. You don't have to worry about making ends meet and stuff like that. Is this a happy time? Totally. This is totally, I actually forecast how I'm, this is going to be, I save every thank you card anyone ever gives me. Like, I save them all. I save cards because I foresee that when I'm in my 70s and 80s, these are going to be all the memories that's going to keep me from, like, it's going to keep me company. Because I knew you through Aaron, mm-hmm. your, your, your first husband. He was a student of mine. And I remember you coming around and you were like this shy. You were like, I think you described yourself as a fan, basically. I was a total fan. A Almost like a wallflower. Total yeah. wallflower. <laughs> yes. I walked up. The, my big thing was I had this big crush on Craig Kukowski for a while. Craig, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. With the deep voice. Oh, great God. voice. He's got great And he voice. just did some. I was just Armando. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I walked up to him, and I'm like, when you get famous, can I be your fan club president? <laughs> I was like, yes. How do, you, how do you think you transformed? Improv totally did it. In what way? People, you because say that- you watch people. See, it's the truth is we all, we, uh, Viola Spolin, right? Lover. Right? Yeah. What did yeah. she say? What did she say what she was really in pursuit of? I don't remember. It, she, she said it should not be life, big, liberty, big, big and the pursuit. No, no. Okay. Should not be life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. She said it should be life, liberty, and the pursuit of harmony. She said that the that she wants a greater um, humans. If human had a greater ability to access, access their intuition, access it doesn't mean they have to constantly do it. But if they had a greater ability to instantly access their intuition, their Fundamental nature will be to want to love their neighbor, like to connect to their their neighbor. But that's the fundamental nature of being human. But that's not what we teach. Like, there's no, where do we teach people that you actually? Well, we can talk psychology. But uh, I think watching improv, and I was terrified of, of the audience, right? So I had performance anxiety, and I didn't even want to finish being a musician. And now I'm doing improv, so I just focused like right on the stage. Like, and there were at comedy sports, I had tables here, and I couldn't even. And I did that for a year. I didn't say anything in the green room. I didn't talk to the cast members. I laughed like everyone else does, but I was petrified. But I knew I had this one language, like this. my language is this thing, right? The piano. The piano. So, uh, but I remember the first time I had the courage, after doing it for a while, to look out to the audience and they're just a generic comedy sports audience. And uh, <laughs> and I looked at a lady, and she looked at me, and I smiled. And she, I, I smiled nervously. And she smiled nicely, like genuinely. Like the whole thing that the audiences are totally on your side. We're doing the bravest thing here. This is the gift like of being a human and daring to be intuitive, access what it is that we want to say or what our character wants to say or some rendition of this moment in a larger world. And they that's our gift. 
Remember that? Remember Del Close? Well, Del Close always said we were potentially torturing them. But I, fl- I would flip it on the other side and, and say, like, that they want to believe that this is possible. You know what's interesting about your story is you never got on stage Mm-mm. and you were still transformed by improv. A hundred percent, yes. Which is so interesting. Because I think a lot of improvisers take for granted the piano player and they don't even think that the piano player is improvising. Do, do they do. They're, we've trained them. Oh, good. Back in the 90s, maybe, but now they all get Well, I think in the 90s, it was. The, I think the role of the, the musical director has changed since I started. Mm-hmm. It was simply an accomp- you would just uh, play underneath mm-hmm. uh, a herald. Now they, they are. They, what were you going to say? Dave, Ad- Dave Adler did the first th- time I ever saw a piano player save a show. He saved, he saved a lot of shows over at I.O. Um, and how did he save that? Because show? these three guys were standing around, not really identifying who they were, where they were, what was happening. And they were dropping some fun jokes and fun remarks, but nothing was happening really in the scene. And all of a sudden, David Adler was like, bump, bump, it's three dudes in a roommates, and they don't have a lot in common. Bloop. And it killed. And he, <laughs> he basically named it. He named what we all just watched. It's funny because it's fucking true, right? So it wasn't, I didn't perceive like, oh, he digged on them. It was like he caught before they did what was actually happening. They were trying to make a scene happen, right? That was their whole downfall. And he made a scene out of the fact that it was guys that couldn't find a thing to get connected to. Now, uh, as, we, as the musical director has evolved, so is, so is improv. And so mm-hmm. musical improv has become a huge, huge thing now. Is it? Is it huge? I, I, well, it's certainly, it, <laughs> yes. Okay. I think it's much bigger. Than, it, yeah. it didn't even exist when I started That's in true. the 80s. That's true. Now it's like Second City has a program. Uh, the Deltones here, uh, Improv Boston with Mike Dakota, yeah. uh, you know, Baby Wants Candy. But I'm going to tell you something. It is the thing that I'm still most intimidated yes. by. Yes. And I'm, I'm just scared to do it. All right. Let's make you do it. Okay. <laughs> this is the thing I'm best at. Okay, what is the thing that you're best at? Do you want to move Talk, over to the piano? Yes, absolutely. Great. The thing and I'm best d- at is, is talking to you. That's so my thing is, does when I think of musical improv, I think like it's got to be like a musical. Like right. I've got to be like, you know, uh, it, it's got to be Les Mis or it's got to be West Side Story. It or, be a thing. Yes. You want to stand or stick up to your chair? I'm gonna. I'll, I'll come over here by the. All right, but tell me this: Do you have? Do you hate music? No, I like okay, music. Great. Actually, who's? Uh, what's the? What do you, What's on your? What's your CD? Well, or I love like I like like James Taylor. Oh, yeah, nice. Paul Simon. Why? Why? I, I like anything sad. Okay. I like sad music. And yes. storytelling. And storytelling. Do you ever sing at home yourself? Uh, do I, Lauren? Yeah. Yeah. So what is it, why does a human being feel the need to sing? You're asking this question. Uh, to, to communicate uh, with the other person. Right. So couldn't you also sing that answer? Right?
I'm sorry, but I don't think that it's uh, a natural state to judge singing. I don't think that's a natural state. I think that's a learned uh, skill. And sometimes when I teach, I love to sing just to show people that I can communicate how I'm feeling inside. Because if I said, hey, I'm grooving inside, it doesn't do anything. But if I'm like, I'm grooving while I'm singing to you, Janae. Yes, 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 There are other cultures that are not American that sing together, and it's not something that's judged, and people don't go, But don't you think that, 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 like, I think improvisers bring that to this, I, I bring that to this day. Because you learn to be a good improviser. But absolutely 100% singing makes you a little more naked. And you've learned not to be naked on stage, right? Yes. <laughs> Today, right now, that it's I can talk and sing at the same time. Or when I learn to improv. Both of them. Okay, Stephanie. <laughs> what I've learned in improv is saying yes and listening to the last thing that was said. I can do that. 
<laughs> I, I, if that comes up, I will, I will, I will push her down. I will, I will resist this. Right I'm still going to sing right now. She told me not to sing. All right, because uh, you need to feel like, what's my tempo? Like, what's my, what's the groove here? And they will also be like feeling the tempo and the groove. Uh, you will want to sing probably that last thing you just heard, right? Mm -hmm. That should probably be the first thing you sing as well. Because that's how we're de designating. That was the really last important. thing they said I'm going to want to sing. Uh, I'm probably going to say the last thing someone says is the first thing they should sing personally. Okay, great. Does that make sense? Sort of? No? Do you okay. guys get it? <laughs> Can you explain it to me? <laughs> so, the reason she starts playing the piano is because she hears something you said that has an emotional content that could go into a song. Uh -huh. So it does yourself the favor to repeat that, um, that idea because that's why she played the piano in the first place. Yeah. Great. So I have to listen to yes, you. And. I have to listen to you. Please do. Okay. All right. I'm just I'm trying to get this. Done. I get you are. Now, you in terms are of starting great. the scene, what do we? What? Just have. How do you like to start scenes? Oh, just get it a location or relationship. Right. That's what you should do then. Cave. Okay, we're in a cave. That's improv, bitch. Improv, bitch. I mean, after all, you're nerds. Improv. 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 Don't worry about it. Don't 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 worry about it. I I think if we just head off back there, we'll 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 get out of here. Carl, you said don't worry about it five hours ago. I know, Roy, I know, I know. I just, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm a little lightheaded right now. So I'm just, I'm trying to, to I'm, 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 I'm trying to, to focus, okay? I think we're not getting enough oxygen in here. Bill, we're not getting enough oxygen, okay? <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm right, we're not. You're absolutely right. I didn't, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to say anything because I don't want you guys to panic, all right? Is that me? Should I go? Yes, yes. yes. I don't want you guys to panic because the last tour I took, people died. <laughs> I feel like you have a very interesting way of making people not panic by offering something that will make them panic. <laughs> and it's not working. It's not working. Well, let me come Oxygen deprivation. Well, they first coughed out because there wasn't much H2O. <laughs> so when the bear came and ate them, they didn't even feel any pain. <laughs> well, that's reassuring, Carl. That's reassuring, Carl. That's more reassuring, Carl, than telling us that we're gonna get out. It's reassuring, at least we won't feel any pain. How'd you get out of the last one then? <laughs> <laughs> it was a loophole. <laughs> I thought we were farther down than we actually were, and then 
actually was the, I, I got us all the way back to the beginning. See, I take you, ah, I want to kill myself. And I'm too afraid to do it alone. So you, you do a tour? Yes. <laughs> and you, so this is a suicide tour. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't bill it at that because I wouldn't get any people, but the word's out. So this last week it was six people, now I'm down to two. This is basically like drink the Kool-Aid, right? Yeah, yeah. We really should have paid attention to the Yelp reviews. <laughs> <laughs> with two reviews, so it's not just one person that didn't like you and we said we'll ignore it, but we shouldn't have ignored it, because now we're going to die. You only have two stars on Yelp. Two stars on Yelp. I figured that, well, there are restaurants that only get two stars, and maybe someone had a real bad time, but they're just two stars. consideration for the people you'll leave behind, like us, to die. But more than that, the family and the friends and, and what you have to offer the world. I never really saw it that way. I've been doing a lot of tours. I don't really value myself, though my kids think I'm pretty swell. I had a wife and a son. And I really want to say to them that I love them. But I thought if I killed myself, I would But how can you say you want to tell them that you love them and then remove the opportunity to do just that? Because when they come to my funeral and they see me laying in the casket, they say, hey, we love him, and we miss him. See, I think there's one thing you're not thinking through with this little plan, which is that maybe if you kill yourself, they'll be mad at you. <laughs> and so they get to your funeral and see your body, and they say, look what he did to us. And instead of I love you, they'll stand there and say, fuck you. Show you the way it's just to this door. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. Yes, you got to sit down again. All right. All right. Can I tell you how emotional that is for me? In terms of what? Uh, you guys. Uh, it's really interesting to me that what you got out of me was to talk about my my mom's suicides, constant suicide. She hasn't succeeded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that this fucking thing is about about suicide and death, and them telling you why you shouldn't do it. That to me is amazing. Was that something that you had told your mom? No. Not to do it? No. Did you ever feel, like, responsible? Uh, she set it up to make me responsible. How did you do that? By saying, dear Stephanie, it's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you this? Because I, I just, I, it, it, to me, like, you're, uh, like, you are, like, an improv success story. Because not only did you transform, because I saw you as this wallflower and stuff like that, you had a really shitty childhood. Mm. I mean, with your mom and stuff like that. And you have such a great outlook you know, in, in in stuff and a great laugh and Thank stuff you. like that. How how do you? Uh, uh, I, and I shouldn't. Be, I'm no different. I am no damn different. I, I think everyone's gonna have a success story. Everyone. But you didn't. That. You didn't. You didn't let all that. You you didn't let all that stuff get in your way. And you. I do it all the time. I let stuff get. I mean, this this thing is pretty true to, to my life. I and and what uh, uh, Justin said at the beginning, like. Uh, in the intro, like I let things get in my way. I can't see the joy, and you see is that the joy. True? You it's really total don't? true. I'm sorry. Ask my wife; she's right here. Lauren, is that true? Totally true. Yeah. And you are just. What do you think is what's? What you are just brimming with joy. How do you do it? Uh, I I uh, I have a lot of therapy. I do have a lot of therapy under my belt. Uh, do you go to therapy? Absolutely. 100%. Okay. Yeah, since I was seventeen. So I believe in. I believe in it. Uh, and for an improviser out there that's afraid to do therapy, oh what would you gosh. tell them? Go. Why? Uh, also, like, yeah, like shop around because okay. there's bad it's, ones out right. there. It's like, yeah. yeah, pick one that connects to you. I don't. I, I thought we were over that. Didn't opera, Oprah get us all over the whole therapy thing? Well, we uh, the, the improvisers kind of poo poo Oprah. Poo poo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Because if you're going to be up here, if you're going to do that, you're going to be raw. You're going to dig. You're going to be yourself. You're sticking your neck out. The minute you start singing, you're really sticking your neck out because you you just felt it, right? Yeah, you're I totally, feel totally vulnerable. How did I, you feel that they felt about you? Did you have any feelings about their your scene partners there? Um. Uh. Yeah. I'm like. I, I thought they were. I, I was thinking that they were judging me. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But that was me projecting my judgment onto them. Oh, you, like, did, you were judging them. Yeah, I was probably judging them too. You were probably, it's I was already. judging them. I was judging them, <laughs> Stephanie. You got it out of me. Because that's what I do when I feel like when I, I, I don't know what's the right. What, what's but the right I, thing? What's where's the right? Like who, there is no right. But when when I feel afraid, that's the first thing I do is I go to judgment. That's a lot of people. Yeah, things. but it was go, off and on. I would go to judgment, and then I felt supported. Judgment support. Yeah, it was it was totally back and forth. Yeah. Right. So you have to trust that that support's real. It's not gonna like right. take you in the ass later. Right. You can trust it. All right. right. Well, you got your own childhood. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm in therapy twice a week. So three I three times, my friend. You're three times. I individual I, or, or group and analysis. Okay, I'm not good with group. Well, you should try group. If you're if you like improv, you'd love group therapy. I am in group therapy every time I walk into a classroom and start teaching. I'm improv. Okay, all right. Let's talk about what we just did. Okay, can we invite the the two yes, guys absolutely. out here? Great.
They had no idea they were going to Grab a do chair, that. you guys. You're going to be on stage here. Yay, my friends. <laughs> and let's just catch your names again. I'm Thomas. Thomas? I'm DJ. Thomas and DJ. Okay. They've never played before, those two. They've never played together. Okay, great. I, I don't think so. No, all right. Now, did you have any judgment, or was it just me? No. Great, so I was holding the whole judgment for the whole group. <laughs> Great. Um, we did the first scene. How do we feel about the first scene? Do you remember the first scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And what was the first scene, just to refresh You had mind. the first song about Don't Panic. Don't Panic. Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. Get us not to panic. Well, All right. It was, it was good because you kind of set up a game for us to play. You set up this mm-hmm. Don't Panic, but here's every reason why you should panic. And so it was a fun thing to play off of, and so it gave us something to grab onto as a game to play. Um, that was already rooted in relationship because we already established a place and names. Okay, mm-hmm. great. And then this, this, the second scene... How did you feel? Did you, were you panicking more? No, I, I kind of thought like, okay, I got it. it these, my job as an improviser is just to lay on the, to hide really, the panic. You really want to... You really... All right. What were you going to say? Let's talk about this. No. <laughs> um, I... Uh, as soon as you so as soon as something works for you, it's it's gone. You're done. There's, you don't you didn't even get a chance to like enjoy it. You're like, oh, I nailed it. So right, wrong, it's done. You didn't even like get to revel in some fun. No, that is that is how I look at life. That is <laughs> you, how you I argue live my life. Really hard for those limitations. I do. Uh, yes, I I will I will fight you to to my death. Then they're you. yours. Yeah, you're welcome to have. Your your psychology stuff is really paying off. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So then the second scene. What do we have in the second scene? That was the Yelp reviews. Yelp reviews. Yelp reviews. Oh, yeah. How did that come out? How, how did you feel it came out? Well, yeah. How'd you, yeah. <laughs> well, you guys initiated it, right? Oh, that's so I think true. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now we've sort of established a scene that was two v one. Was what? Two versus one. Okay. And how did you get that, Thomas and DJ? Well, so you had, you had taken the two of us on this tour, and it slowly became clear that like this is a thing you do, and you somehow lure people into this ridiculous business where you take them on a tour to, so you can kill yourself. Um, so I just instantly went to like the way that we think about businesses right now is we think about Yelp reviews. So like, what would your Yelp review be? It was the song that didn't carry emotional weight, like the the thing. It was the it was the miniature variety number, right? Mm-hmm. It was about Yelp reviews. Like, it's not a song that's going to... It's the song and dance. It, it lightened the mood, which mm-hmm. was definitely my intent. And so he, he dropped this Yelp statement, made a lot of sense. And the fact that I started playing wasn't something like... It wasn't like he was like, and now my Yelp review song. Like, he just said it. But the minute I started playing, they were like, yep, that's where we're at. We're going to do this. And what I'm hearing song. you saying, too, is like, be it a Herald or an Armando, whatever long form, we always need variety. Oh, right. And in music as well. Yes. So we don't need all emotional songs. Nope. We need some fun. Correct. Then the third one, Thomas. You remember the third the song? The third one was interesting because I set up a, a sort of a want, but it the one that got passed to you on the song, which was great because then we got a bit more emotionally invested in what you were going through mm-hmm. because you had one of the strongest emotional opinions in the piece. And what was that? That you wanted <laughs> to commit suicide. Right. And it seemed That's like, pretty strong. That's a pretty like strong choice. Would in you the say? running order... It seemed like that was a very a perfect way to go. We kind of established the situation. We established mm-hmm. our relationship in a little fun variety. So it was time for that, like that the heart of it. Like, yeah. what's why? Why is this? And I think once the reality of what you wanted set in, then it became really clear. Like, I feel like it became really clear to our characters that we wanted you to not want to kill yourself. Because mm-hmm. that's the one thing that we talk about also in music improv is the I want song. 
is sort of a standard in musical theater. The protag, protagonist gets this I want song that sets up what this musical sort of leads toward. What the character wants. Right. And then, so in my case, it was I wanted to kill myself. Right. And you guys wanted to not me to die. Right. Because in a situation like in, if there's no conflict, then why? Like I don't, it's if, we're, if you set up this thing and you don't have any conflict to kill yourself, then you kill yourself and the, the show's over. So what? What is that? No, oh, but you could have sung the song. Go, let's kill ourselves. Oh yeah, we could have kill ourselves. Let's wow. do it. We could have been the same thing. Let's okay. let's hear that how that song would have gone. Are you serious? Serious, yeah. Okay. All right, you guys slide down. We <laughs> well, don't you have, have to. You have to. Yeah, you have to do that. Okay. This is the we're all killing ourselves. We're all going to kill ourselves song. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> my therapy session is going to be interesting. Though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Uh, what I recall is that uh, Jimmy said, "Yes, actually, I just don't. I'm. I don't want to do it alone." And that was what inspired you guys to connect to the, the, the like, "Don't do it." Great. But, yes. Yes. I, I just don't want to do it alone. But you don't have to. Yeah, we're we're right here. <laughs> You're kidding me. You would die with me if I just asked you. It's that simple. I never asked. When you ask for something, you get what you want in return. Like you die with me. I would die with you if you just asked. Well, that's what I'm doing. Then we'll die with you. Oh, oh, oh. We'll die with you. I was totally lost in that because it was so damn simple. And I was looking at Thomas just going like with like these like, I don't know where we're going with this. And you guys just committed to sing. That damn simple. Yeah. Repetition. All right. So we're gonna take questions and answers for for you, Stephanie, and if you have questions for Thomas and DJ on what we just did. Uh, so if we could turn the house lines up, Byron. Are you still there? And uh, great, Sam's there too. <laughs> Hey Steph, uh, you said like since you started sort of come up that there's been an sort of an explosion in interest in improv and uh, comedy in Chicago and musical improv as well. What do you see the next sort of incarnation of comedy in here? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Uh, you mean with music, or I think we're? I think it's really nice that now music improv is not going to be that little weirdo stranger thing. Because when I used to teach it, and you'd be like, "Here's music improv." You get half the class being like, "Well, I'm never going to do that. Like, I'll learn it for this class, but this isn't going to be relevant." And now everyone's like, ah, "I need to learn this because uh, there's going to be a piano player at any theater I know, and I don't want to be the jerk that's like, I don't do it anymore.' Like, that's not cool." To be like, I don't do music. It almost has to be in your skill set now as an improviser. It should, yeah. yeah. Because you've got another improviser. Your team isn't just your team, it's your team and that person over there. Mm-hmm. So you have to learn to speak and share the language. What goes on from here? I don't know. But I love the idea of musical comedy now not just not being... I love that it's... I would like it to share the be at the table with <laughs> all the other types of improv comedy. Great. Let's take another question. Hi. Hello. Um, Lauren. Lauren. I was just wondering what if you can talk about what your mission is with MCL, what your goal is with 
Um, well, I, I so people that don't know MCL, MCL, you just started this new theater, and it's exclusive music comedy theater, yeah, right? Yeah, the bulk of our programming is musical comedy in in any form. So it could be musical improv, it could be musicals like uh, The Mighty Ted, and it could be musical sketch. So it could be any one of those three. That's the bulk of our programming, and our mission is a to continue to educate the audiences on this particular art form. Audience people love musical comedy. That's not that's a no brainer. I don't think they realize like there could be a theater that really shows you and pushes the art form. And in musical improv now, it's not just like a herald with music. Now we're we are beyond that. Like we can now push it, learn new genres, learn new ways of exploring it. We're, we should be doing to that. We are doing what improv, how improv is being pushed and explored in the in the fifties. Like, where else can you do with this? What if you tried this? What if you tried that? What if it's a live band? What if it's just guitar? What if it's a cappella? Like, so I love that now that can be a way of doing musical improv. What do you guys want for the future? <laughs> I think to have it. I mean, because you kind of some at some point you kind of feel like it's not as respected as an art form at times where people mm-hmm. are like oh there's a music improv program or like, well, what do you do like, so I think that I mean because it's really fun um, so I think finding like more also more things that take like, like they're really serious about developing something that's really new and interesting like improvised Sondheim project just sort of yeah. shook everything up with what they did to, mm-hmm. to take a style that far and be that intimate blows my mind yeah were you guys into improv or musical before? How'd you come into musical improv? I'd only ever done them independently, personally. So I did a lot of musicals in high school and college, and okay. I did improv here in Chicago. And like Steph was, Steph came into my conservatory class a year and a half ago, and just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like the story of ten thousand people in the city. <laughs> and Thomas, how did you come into musical improv? Um, so I did musicals my my whole life, right? And I just moved back to or moved to Chicago from where I was in I was in Paris for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came and saw Baby Wants Candy, and Steph was playing, and my friend Amy Rader, and so I just I was like, oh, ah, this is amazing! Holy, holy ball crap! Like, I, whole, like that was I was like so. After seeing that one thing, I was just in love with it. I was I'm talking her ear off, but like we call so, it catching the bug. Yeah, mm-hmm. catch the bug. You're you're infected. But so. I think you know, like it's you guys had experience with musicals. You know, like, and you were comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the the real challenge is the improviser who doesn't have the theater and improv ba- theater and musical theater background to have them be comfortable with doing music improv. That's I good. think that's the big hurdle. Let me tell you that Michael Jordan, one of my co-founders of MCL, has just, in fact, just told a group today he can't stand musicals, and it's. It's so it's you don't have to have that background at all. If you're if you're someone who hates music, then this will be rough. But if you like, we all have a reason to sing. You sing to yourself. You sing uh, along to your favorite artists. Um, and my, like Michael Jordan, he's not crazy about musicals. He doesn't go out of his way to watch them. He doesn't have any history of it. He loves improv and he loves music. And he's so he learned how to mesh the two. You know, you just do what you did for about three years real comfortably, and you get over those, all those fears which you had and all those questions and all those judgments. And like you said, it can't be this simple. I love that you said that, that you were conscious enough to be like, I literally feel this is simple. There must be something I'm missing. Well, I, I think what's interesting in our scene was I don't think anybody rhymed. And, and Thank that, you. And that's the thing that the other thing, the, the non-musical head. improv person, 
comes in going, oh, I got a rhyme. I well, we make a very deliberate point in the music program to teach rhyming as just a muscle. It's it's something that if you're an athlete, you got to go to the gym and do those reps, right? You got to go to the gym and really fine tune that particular muscle for hoop shooting or whatever. But you put the reps in to teach the muscle, but then you go fucking improvise. And if you do it, if you balance enough of time, like putting in those reps of learning some mental gymnastics, because that's what it entails, which why would you want to practice that and do music improv at the same time? The last thing you want to do is be in your head. So practice the gymnastics when you're not in a scene. Practice it with uh, your friends. And then go do improv. And you do that enough, the, two, the muscle will insert itself in that scene. It will kick in just like any other like athlete. Like You focus on a certain moment, but you... You can't focus on that when you're in the middle of your race or whatever. Great, we got time for one more question. Right here. Great. Um, my question for Stephanie is that how are you able to utilize or tap into your psychology uh, training, <laughs> into your improv or into your teaching or, or any style like that that, that deals with improvising? Uh, psychologists are trained to be excellent listeners. Like that's a bulk, a lot of your graduate school is learning how to listen. So I think that that was one thing I totally came already prepped. I know how to listen. I know how to listen at different levels, and I've learned that. I mean, you have to have a proclivity for it if you're interested in human behavior, which a lot of improvisers are and a lot of actors are. You're, you're interested in what it means to be human, or you wouldn't want to like put it up here and show it. So I already had that skill, and I already have the listening skill. And then the fact that my philosophy is that I also believe what Viola says. Like we all innately want to believe our own instincts are right, uh, and that's what makes us better improvisers. So I think I just tap into noticing that's the human struggle. And we're doing it here, but we could be like, what, what, this could be another industry. We could still be talking about tapping into trusting your own instincts. We got to wrap this up. Let's wrap this it. This was so great. What is one piece of advice you would give somebody starting out in, in improv or musical improv Jesus. today? Uh see a lot of shows be an audience member put as much energy into being an audience member as you are into being in class and why is that important today to see shows because you cannot you're not going to be able to replicate all the experiences you want to have every time you go to class so go and watch the good the bad the ugly the fair watch find your heroes watch them mess up believe in the value of that the honesty really is the best policy because if you don't watch it you just go to class you just are trying to emulate a skill set you need to be an audience member and you need to see how human and how net, like what is really possible thank you so much I want to thank Thomas and DJ for, for, for making you look good and I want to thank Stephanie McCullough and I want you to check out the MCL uh, theater uh, you're also at Second City yes. where you teach uh, I want to thank you guys for, for being such a wonderful audience. And check out uh, um, my award-winning classes and my improv blog. you got to sign up for it. It will make you a better improviser and maybe a better person. We don't know. <laughs> uh, that's up to you. Go to jimmycarane.com. Also check out my new book, Improv Therapy. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Next week we have Jack Newell, who is a, a film director, and he's also he heads up some program... At Second City. At Second City. So we're really excited about that. So check that out. We'll have more information about that. Uh, thanks for coming. Until next time, remember, walk, don't run.
And there we have it. There you go. It's another episode of Improv Nerd is in the Can. And I want to thank our guest, Stephanie McCollum. She, she had so many amazing stories. She was filled with such positive energy. And I love that story she talked about Wayne Brady and, and doing the gig. She wasn't going to do it, and then she decides to do it. I love those. And talk about someone who's living her life like really living improv, you know, in her life. I'm, I'm terrified to do it. She's just going, hey, this opportunity, I'm doing the next right thing. We love it. Um, also, uh, a shout-out to her theater. That's the MCL here in Chicago, Music Comedy Live. So check that out if you're ever here in Chicago. I uh, want to thank our home base here. These are the people that make us treat, treat us like such rock stars, and that is Stage 773 here in Chicago. Also, go to my website, jimmycorain.com, for past episodes of Improv Nerd and sign up for the Improv Nerd blog. It's going to make you a better improviser and a better person. No, the better person is up to you. It will help you with your improv. So sign up for our newsletter. Every week I'm going to send you a new blog that's going to help you become a better improviser. We're also lucky, so lucky, to be a part of a podcast collective called FeralAudio.com. That's FeralAudio.com. Some of the most innovative and funniest podcasts out there right now people like chelsea peretti and todd berry and dan Harmon. so go to feralaudio.com you know we're taking over the world but we're doing it through social media so it's going to be slow but we're going to still do it go to uh, the improv nerd facebook page and like us also go to improv underscore nerd that's our twitter handle and follow us and we have a wonderful youtube channel and you'll see little clips from the show that'll be even more helpful than listening to this podcast I want to thank our sponsors today, our wonderful sponsors, both uh, the 6th Annual Dallas Comedy Festival and the Steel Stacks Improv Comedy Festival. And I want to thank you for listening, because without you, uh, there's no way I'd be noticed in a store or on the L. So until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Jimmy Corain's a nerd. He's a nerd. Oh yeah. Jimmy's 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 a nerd. He's a nerd. Hello, I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh my god. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? <laughs> Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. 
walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. <laughs> Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even? Why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype, <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, (laughs) he spots his dear friend, who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. (laughs) Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. (laughs) 